0: Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today, I'm speaking with John Graber. John is a mix engineer and producer. Together we explored addiction, self-esteem, the downsides of being unique, and so much more. It was a great conversation with a great friend, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. Hey, what's up, man? What's up, dude? Great to see you. Um, I feel like you're so close. I'm on Long Island. I feel like you're somehow here. (laughs) I'm not. I, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. I think you're spir- spiritually here. I'm telling you, my spirit's on Long Island. Ugh, I haven't been to that place in years. Your spirit is definitely on Long Island. It's just because I make punk records, so. Yeah, There, that's, that's <laughs> enough, man. <Matt. laughs> I'm really happy to have you on. I've, um, I've been waiting for this for a while. And then seeing you work with uh, Rose Colored World, I was like, fuck, he is uh, someone I can't wait to talk to you about this whole bullshit that we got creativity and creation and all things. Sure. Yeah, man. I, uh,
1: I mean, I always, I just, I love what you guys do, what you do with either with like with Spider and the boys for conversations and even like this, these, like these conversations with different, you know, different artists with different principles, I, you know, it's great. I love it. I'm
0: super psyched to be here, super psyched to talk about it. Oh, super psyched to drink coffee. Same here. I'm sure you know how this goes, but for people that are joining that don't know, I'm going to go through a series of topics. I have a list that I picked out for you specifically. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read them off. Uh, they're not in any order, so whatever one sparks your interest, after I read them, we could start there. The goal is to cover all of them anyway, but I just want to kind of start with whatever you're excited about, confused about, any any of the things. We could either explore ideas. I have uh, so I can, I also, this is all the notes that I took for us
1: are on my end for our discussion today. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Okay. I looked up lots of definitions and shit. He's coming with definitions. everyone. definitions of creativity, definitions of like producer, what roles mean Ooh. What creation art. anyway, go on fucking. This is wow. I'm just here to no, answer.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn off my, uh, my camera and then just let you run it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. Well, thank you for doing that. I, that means a lot. And I'm glad you're taking it uh seriously. That it really does mean a lot. Um so let me read read these off to you and we'll take it from there. So uh, I have collaboration, which is something we've been doing a lot. Uh passion. You're one of the most passionate people I know. Uh self esteem. I feel like I feel better just being around you. But um I feel like I don't know about your self-esteem. I do want to know about it. Um, inspiration, you are always inspired and inspiring. Um, I feel like you, you love what you do and you, and you love all the things, um, limits, I was interested to hear about creative limitations and, and setting limits, uh, feedback, I know we've done some feedback sessions recently on the, on the records we're doing and, um, play and personal roadblocks. So play, obviously, when we were in the studio, I just saw how you were were working and I thought that was a a good one. Personal roadblocks, I obviously know a lot about your history. I don't know how much you want to share, but we all have roadblocks that kind of were the stepping stones to get us where we are today. So those are my topics for you with a, uh, you know, added um, description as to why I chose them, which I've never done before, but I think I might. Um, Word
1: well i think a couple of those like you can bang out and and, so roadblocks and self-esteem are like very tied to each other Mm -hmm. so i will get i guess that's a good one to get into way yeah let's go um i don't i don't uh you know i i've been really fortunate in my life that um i i was um roadblocks have never have only been things that i've put in my own way really honestly Mm -hmm. i I haven't really been born with um with you know too much directly in my way because of circumstance whether it be like my parents or or my upbringing or anything like that i'm really lucky um you know i grew up uh on long island in new york um in um you know not the best town ever Huntington station kind of sucks but uh you know did I know that? My dad's out there right now. Yeah, it totally sucks. My condolences. What a horrible place. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, when people think Long Island, they often think of like Manhasset or like, you know, the mm. and great Gatsby. They think that they like the, the Hamptons. Uh, and that's not where I am from. Uh, but that is to say that like, I also am not from like some place where like the actual location be a disadvantage. I had a great education. I had parents that were like really um supportive of what i was doing and saw from an early age that like i was going to pursue a career in music uh hey kenny schwartz is here honey station does kind of suck i love that guy Kenny, um and i fucking make music together uh well i'll talk about you kenny and collaboration Uh, Uh, but uh you know um you know with with that kind of upbringing with that kind of uh um when things are a little easy and you're a little bored, uh, you start putting things your own way. I, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I, um, I've I, been clean and sober now for five years. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I am a drug addict. I, I don't use drugs anymore. I don't drink alcohol. Um, I don't smoke cigarettes. Caffeine's pretty much my only mind-altering substance that isn't prescribed by a doctor, um, you know, but sobriety um, allowed me the clarity to really do things like self-esteem and like why i use drugs and why i do things the way i do because it's it's addiction is a per- pervasive behavior it's not just like it's not just about drugs it's not just about drinking it's not just about using finding ways and means but it's also about the way i i am in the world i'm an addict i like things that make me feel awesome all the fucking time and like it's food it's fucking attention it's women it's, it's sexual relationships, it's uh, fucking restaurants that I like, it's fucking places that I like shopping, it's bands, it's music that I like. The way I approach many things and consume things is very much in line with the way I consume drugs and alcohol, which is to say like, I need structure. Um, and uh, self-esteem is very much tied to like, how numb I could get myself to be around myself. You know, for a long time, I really hated everything about me. Uh, I didn't like that I was fat. <laughs> I didn't like that my hair was curly. I didn't like that uh, my face is incredibly Jewish. <laughs> I was, I mean, like those things, like I, I, Dang. you know, I was presented with this very concept of, uh, uh, this very strong concept of what like masculine beauty is, right? Like I saw fucking like chiseled ass football dudes in high school and I went to a college that like was, a, pervasive, like the, the dance program was really pervasive. So these people were really in shape and they didn't look like me. And like, mm-hmm. I, I othered myself as much as I possibly could and made that as an excuse for why I could then, um, numb those feelings of inadequacy with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. which is to say, once I got clean, um, and started working steps, that's really when I was confronted with self-esteem and, and what, what, is tied to my self-worth and I still worry about this and, and I can pivot kind of to work. You know, I, my work-life balance now since having a daughter actually has been much, much better. I work four days a week. I don't work more than six hours a day. Um, I don't answer emails on the weekends. Um, and, uh, I, I'm, I don't care. Um, I'm unapologetic about my unavailability. If you want to work with me, that's kind of the rules at this point. I have a daughter who I need to be there for hundred percent of the time when mm. I,
0: Available,
1: um but it wasn't always like that um I very much tie who I am to my work mm. you know a lot of people fucking call me Jay Graves Mixes like they call me my fucking Instagram handle like that's my job So um and a lot of my friends I have I I have in my life are through work mm-hmm. um, so even more kind of tying who I am at my core to what I do. Mm. Uh, and actually, after I had Dottie, oh, after my wife had Dottie and we, we, you know, it's, she's been, it's just two months. It's not that long. But I really kind of got enough space where I was like, I am not just my job. I'm not just a mixer. I'm not just a guy who likes punk rock. I'm not just a guy who likes ska music. Um, I'm more than that. And I can explore that now. And I don't need, it doesn't feel like, that exploration doesn't feel like an attack at my, At my core you know it it feels like a true exploration of self which uh which is nice um and also like i have like a buddy to do it with who is constantly exploring herself like like dotty is const; she's learning every single day and it's so inspiring to see her even if it's just like tiny shit, like moving her hands a certain way where i can tell she's doing the same things or like she's cooing now she's like trying so hard to laugh we're like so close to a laugh you know um She reminds me every day that it's like definitely okay to
0: change your mind. It's okay to, to, to change and, and it's okay to embrace new things. Mm. So there's a lot here. I just wanted to summarize where we're at so far. We started on this idea of roadblocks and self-esteem and you talked about growing up on Long Island, there not being any like um, external roadblocks. So you kind of internalized a lot of these roadblocks um, and that were, some of those were the ideas of what masculinity means, how you map to that. Um, and then this idea of addictions and consuming and just feeling good about all different things and kind of taking in lots of different input started to kind of fill these gaps. W- what I don't know if it's only masculinity, were there other things that, were there other things that, um, you know, were personal roadblocks or issues around self-esteem, other than what masculinity meant, or was that a big part of it? Oh well, I think it 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 kind of,
1: I I what I, hmm. I mean a lot of it was tied to like, will so I you know, will people like me? You know, will mm-hmm. people? You know, I I was in a band that was relatively popular in my high school, <laughs> and uh, you know like. If I didn't have that band, would I have friends? Like, would uh, you know? I often found myself asking my, like found myself asking the question of like if I didn't pick up my phone, would anyone reach out to me? Like, I can't this this, but like also like it's a two way street. People are fucking busy, and I, I mm-hmm. lacked really enough awareness to like understand that like it's totally fine that no one thinks about you when you're not directly in front of them.
0: Right, <laughs> like, not always, but yeah, the, for the majority but, of the time. Like, but, yeah,
1: honestly, and it's okay. Like, it doesn't bother me anymore. That used to like, I used to be like, man, why doesn't this person reach out? And I'm like, that person has all the ass life going on that's completely separate from me, and that's totally fucking fine.
0: Now then I, about uh, my own, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to zoom in on that for a second though, because when you were going through this, so the masculinity thing, what does it mean? How do I stack up? And will people like me? This is happening pre-addiction. Or during that time, I mean, it's, I think it
1: honestly is a pervasive problem that I've dealt with until I got sober. Mm, okay. Uh, what was loved, like the worst of it? I love, I love attention from women. I love, I love like flirting. I loved like building relationships with people, especially with women that like I would get everything I needed from them without actually like reciprocating any real emotion because that would mm-hmm. require like, um, like emotional intimacy um you know intimacy I, I don't fear it now but it's a fucking scary word especially in the context of like what does it mean to be a, a strong fucking masculine dude from new york how do you also intimate like our our role models are like our friends dads who like like built mufflers and fucking <laughs> built cars and shit and right. there's, or like the total white collar like mm-hmm. um you know, my fucking dad's an attorney or like my dad's a doctor. There's no, Mm -hmm. there was no role model that was really saying like, Hey, it's okay to like be a little soft, (laughs) you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I I was really, really good at being a fair weather friend for a long time, which is why I think now I, I put a lot of work into my relationships with my friends and maintain maintenance because That's not the kind of person I want to be. Mm -hmm. I had a therapist when I was like 20 who like broke it down. Like our second session, he was just like, Mm. he's like, this is dog shit. He's like, this is terrible behavior. Mm. You know, he's like, this is, this is, he's like, you go down this path and within two years you have nobody. And then you're right. You get to be the guy who's perpetually lonely. Mm. Is that really what you want? Do you want to be right about this or do you want to fix it? Wow. You know. It's cool. But I didn't. Like, I didn't fix it. I was 20, I didn't get sober until I was twenty-seven. Like I still had Seven more years of just like shooting dope, doing drugs, and like being an asshole. Um, I got married in there too somewhere. I never. I know. Ne- I you know. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> I mean, still married to the same woman. All the great choice. You. I mean, I got sober because she was like, "You gotta go."
0: Nice. Like. All right. So, wow. Um. Okay. So roadblocks. There weren't any. Externally, you started internalizing them. What is masculinity? Will people like me? What can I do to get people to like me and like kind of appear likable? Um, and, sh- and, and playing this weird game where you weren't even being that good of a friend, you were kind of in your head about these things. Now you're saying things have changed, that you are unapologetic about the limits you're putting on your work and the boundaries that you're setting. Um, you're confronting your self-esteem, your self-worth. I kind of want to know both sides of this. Like I want to know the before and how bad it got and then that bridge to get somewhere else because I assume that a lot of people are in either place um, or somewhere in between. And love to hear that. I I have like a pretty solid analogy
1: that I use a lot um, in recovery, which is very analogous to the way I work. So Mm -hmm. the way I work, Pre-Dotty, let's D. Yeah, pre-Dotty was, um, I worked like I did drugs, which is like I, any, Mm. any, my kid. So, um, drug abuse and, and workaholism and, uh, any sort of addictive behavior works like this. So it's fun, it's fun with problems and then it's just problems, right? So it starts like, um, you go to the park to play flashlight tag with your homies, right? Everyone loves to play flashlight tag. You know, you go to the park, you're flat, you're fly- shine a flashlights at each other, and then you're like, "Hey, I want to keep playing that. It was super fun." But your friends go like, "Get jobs and have more responsibility." And they stop playing, but you still want to go. So you go to the park with some other people, and maybe they're a little weird, mm-hmm. but you still keep going anyway. And then some of them die of flashlight tag, but you're still like, "No, it's still fine. I to keep going." You go park, keep flashing keep flashing. More people, more people fall off, more people until it's just you by yourself in a room flashing a flashlight, myself. It's you in a room, shooting dope, doing drugs, tied to your computer, addicted to social media, whatever your fucking vice is, work, drugs, social media, sex, doesn't fucking matter, sugar. It's you by yourself, complete degradation of the ability to connect with others and fully in service of the self. Um, And that's what it was. I mean, my work habits were so, so unbelievably abusive to myself. My clients didn't even really set this expectation. I did, you know, I, I would work seven days a week for like 14 hours a day. I would go weeks and weeks and weeks without a day off. Mm. Uh, I would, and I like, you know, every time I passed off a record to Alex to master, I would get that same feeling of like, like, like the, after the shot wears off, after the, after the drugs are gone, after, after you see the, the debt on your credit card, after you bought that fucking thing you didn't need, mm-hmm. like that feeling every single time of like only ascension and never absolution. Mm. And, you know, um, when Dottie was born and I had a little bit of clarity, you know, the job will not save you. Mm. The thing you want will like that fucking shiny pair of fucking sneakers that fucking none of it if you look for completion in the material, you will find nothing but emptiness hmm. um is that a thrice lyric I- <laughs> <laughs> that record I can't pronounce like vishishi <laughs> <laughs> make a oh, weird, I was like, just play fucking pop punk metal, you weirdos. <laughs>
0: And illusions of safety was so fucking good. <laughs> so good. Um, that's huge, man. And I was kind of ch- getting choked up there. It's so true. Um, the job won't save you. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about some moments where you realized that? Like, what was or the moment where it really hit? Um.
1: Four days after Dottie was born, my wife uh, had to be, um, we had to bring her to the hospital and she had admitted into the ICU. Um, she had what's called postpartum preeclampsia, which is uh, an uncontrolled uh, rising of the blood pressure. Um, it's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly rare. It's incredibly fatal. Um, something like 60% of people. Dottie is super cute. Thank you, Omnigon. That bad fucking rules, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh so um I and because of COVID restrictions, the baby couldn't go in with Christine. Mm. So four days into being a father, I'm presented with this idea where like there's a chance that I will be a single father. Mm. Um Christine goes in the hospital and it's just Dottie and I in the car. And um Dottie came two weeks early. So I was still in the middle of a project and my thought was like, how am I going to get this work done? If I'm a single father, mm. that's a sick, that's a sick thought. Mm. That's an addict thought. That's, and that's when I was like, no, 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 no. Like this is, I'm doing this wrong. No fucking way. Like mm. my thought can't be like, will this pop punk record get done for this band? Mm. Like my thought needs to be like, how do I, how do, if, Christine is going to be out of the picture. How do I, how do I make this okay for her, for Dot? And, um, it took me a couple of weeks to adjust. It took me some hard conversations with clients Mm -hmm. to be like, Hey, like, this is just what the fuck is happening. And like, you can either get on board or find another mixer for your record. I don't really care. Mm Like, not I don't care, like, I don't care about the project, but like, I care, I care about my daughter more than I care about, like, boom chick, boom chick, boom chick, boom chick. You know what I mean? Like. (laughs) Um. That's a T. Yeah. But like, that's, you know, luckily my wife pulled through, um, she was in the hospital for like four days. She was on the fucking magnesium drip. She couldn't fucking walk for three days and shit. It was wild. It was really fucking scary, but it was in that moment where I realized, where, I make it, where I'm like confronted with the concept of being a single father. After being confronted four days before the idea of being a father, mm. Um, and my thought, my thought went to my job.
0: And I was like, fuck that. Fuck that. So that's quite recently, and you've obviously gone, you've been sober for, you said five years? Five years. Five years on April 25th, April 21st. So getting sober, you were talking about addictions before. That was one addiction. Yeah. But through that, you learned about addictions and the functions of it and the mechanisms that are at play. Um, So I assume it was easier to spot this and easier to kind of, easier, probably not easy. I don't want to underwrite it. But like, you were kind of um, able to see what, what was at play and maybe snap out of it sooner or? Thing is like, you know she's
1: she's a cunning beast. She's pervasive. You know that it's you know you can recover in one aspect and then or find recovery in one aspect. Sorry, I have fucking Eric Melvin from fucking No Effects me right now. <laughs> um, I, my phone's on like, Do Not Disturb. I don't know how this works, but um, you know I uh you know you can find recovery in one aspect of your life, um, but neglect something else. Mm. Uh, and that part of your disease just doing pushups. It's waiting for you. You know, I have this this voice in my head that is this, this cough, they call it like the God-sized hole, you know, nothing. One is too many, a thousand is never enough. Mm. And, it, and it is, it is completely pervasive. It's not just, it's, and the thing about addiction is it fucking, you know, when you're in active addiction, it feels awesome. When you're right. in like when I'm in active working addiction, it feels amazing. I'm fucking making the records I wanted to. I'm working with the people who I've looked up to my entire fucking life. I got fucking Omnigon commenting on my fucking live with Michael fucking Morgan right now. Like this shit is awesome. Like uh like I uh you know, but like so yeah, it was recognized. It was recognized honestly by my sponsor, by people around me before it was recognized by me. Yeah as a
0: problem. You know, um, I had a question because I think that of the people listening, I don't know who they are at this moment. I bet one other person at least might be going through something similar, whether they realize it or not. And I'm wondering, what does it look like? stepping outside of yourself, observing someone else doing it? What does it look like? uh, it looks like, it looks like voting against
1: your own interests. It looks Mm -hmm. like, you know, objectively, you know, um, you know, but also like, it's sneaky, man. Like addiction's so sneaky. Like it, like it creeps around and it, 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 it gets into your, it gets into your coffee, man. (laughs) Like it gets Mm -hmm. here. It like, it gets into the way that you wash your hands in the morning. Like, and like, it's, it's, it's like a, you know, it's this different form of OCD, you know, it's, it's all tied to it. But I also think that addiction is less this concept of like this, like concept of drug addicts, alcoholics, like this thing. But I also think it's a broader, like explanation of, or a broader expression of human, of the human condition under, under which we are all mm-hmm. part of. Like, mm-hmm. I think capitalism breeds addiction because it only works what people are constantly consuming. Addiction is a disease of consumption of the soul, man. Like mm. it's 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 the degradation of self in service to yourself only. And that's what capitalism is. Like mm-hmm. it's the worship of Amazon. And like, I listen, I'm just as guilty as this shit as, as anybody else. Like I, you know, fuck man, I ordered shit from Amazon today. I just I, got a bunch I, of guitar picks. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that like I can, without talking to another fucking person, Get all the shit that I want sent to my fucking house and have zero interaction with other people. The problem is with that, though, is like you know it it sickens us. The things that can like the job will not save you, you know, but the people next to you can, you know, like mm-hmm. you know you you know like uh you know you 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 can't you can't save your face and you can't save your ass at the same time. You know what I mean? No, mm-hmm. uh, you can't have that flex. And still be healthy. It's not there. and and I love to flex. I have fucking PMC speakers, man. It's a fucking hard flex. You know, I have the big boys too. Like that's a hard flex. But like it's just, you know, I they are they help me work, but also like they are a condition of the sickness. You know, it's of this. You know, my room is full of shit, full of
0: gear, full of things. Um, yeah. The job cannot save you, but the people next to you can. And then rejoined as you said that. You know, um,
1: she and I have had, um, you know, I, we can get into that collaboration concept now, like, you know, she and I have had quite the ride together. Um, I met Reed when we were like kids, um, on tour playing ska, punk music to, you know, three, 30 of our favorite friends in any of your given local towns. Um, we didn't like each other. Um, uh, I thought Reed was an asshole and I'm sure it's about the same with me. Uh, and, uh, we didn't reconnect actually until, um, until we both moved to LA. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was working for, uh, a vendor at, for Netflix mixing episodic television. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Fucking hated it. I also probably wasn't very good at it. I hated it. Um, and, um, Reed was managing a bar and I had this opportunity to quit that job and just do music full time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, uh, I said to Reed like, Hey, like, I I can't promise you're ever going to be rich, but I can promise like, you'll be much happier if you just work for me. Mm. Um. And we haven't had, uh, real jobs for five years or six years now. You know, we work together really closely. We're about to put out a record, um, uh, by Reed's band, uh, called Ordinary Life it comes out on Friday. Um, and then you talk about collaboration. I mean, like that record, you know, granted, like we had like a rapport and like, we, we've been writing together for years that, you know, point of the making of that record, but even still like that record deals with um reed's transition um reed is trans and that whole record dealt with dysphoria and uh, mental illness and um what all how all those do the trans experience but also how to take this experience that is very niche and try to mm-hmm. put it in a lens where more people who are trans like myself um and most of the audience can understand it you know i i think about records that did like uh what's it's like uh just that against me record dysphoria transgender dysphoria blues that record Mm -hmm. like it's amazing but i the where it falls short for me is it's just like it's hard to if you're not in it to identify Mm -hmm. Uh, what i love about the record that reed and i made that comes out on friday is like you don't need to be trans to understand it Like you don't need to be speaking like you can it's such a great introduction to the language and to the like to the emotional impact of of finding of self-discovery and like what that is you know um um but yeah her and i we've had quite a journey you know she's aside from my wife like my best friend um i see her i used to see her every day uh now because you know she's working uh, and doing interviews and everything. Cause that record's blowing up. Like our, our relationship is changing and it's also tough. We hung out yesterday though. And like, we, we actually are, we're already talking about the next record and what we're going to do and how to get back into our, our collaborative, um, rhythm. Cause it's been sorely lacking in the last, uh, for the last like three months, you know, it's felt like quite a loss. Um, but I, you know, cause it's not cause like you don't love each other or don't want to see each other. Just. She got so busy and so did I, you know, when she, when they started releasing singles for the record and started doing all of the work to promote the record, I got, um, a record with no effects mm-hmm. and
0: that's been, um, a lot of work. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about some elements that make up that collaboration. So you were. Take it. So one is like, why do you think they made the leap with you to start a mixed business, knowing that they wouldn't be richer but they might be happier? Um, like from someone that didn't like you at first, or at least you didn't like. How does well, the (laughs) we so there's a there's a little bit of, of
1: of like of of liking each other transition in there, which was we. Had a bunch of mutual friends who like told us for years that we would get along and we we're like, I don't care. Um, we finally met up out here in LA and like we wrote songs together. We literally got together in this like fucking horrible um, rehearsal space in downtown LA that like hmm. smelled fucking bleach and cockroaches. And
0: like we wrote together and it was like, okay, like we write really well together. Okay. That was so, you'd never written before together. No. You just got together under the premise, Hey, let's meet and write. Yeah, that was it.
1: Like we got together and like, I think we, we, we went out, we wrote, uh, rockstar studios in Chinatown. Yes. Read it, was horrible. Um, again, we, there was no pretext of hanging out. It was like, mm. we we're going to write songs. Mm. It was like, it was very
0: like professional. Okay. Um, and so this was like for a project or just, Hey, let's see so, if or?
1: Our, our homie Logan was supposed to move out, um, to San Diego and he wanted to start like a super fast punk band with Rita called Snowbirds that, uh, they ended up, uh, taking a, uh, they're in that band, Big D and the Kid's Table. Oh, we're based in, on the East coast. So he stayed East coast and didn't move out here. Um, so, but Reed and I got together to write for that project and we wrote together and it was like, okay, like our, the way we play guitar, like she was, she's so melodic and I am so courty that it just like worked out really, really well. Um, we went out and had a cigarette. We like talked out some of the weirdness. There's, there's like a couple people in our past who like, um, that we don't fuck with, um, cause they're bad people. I'm not going to say their names cause I don't want to give them any fucking shine, but, uh, yeah, out no. She was like, yeah, yeah, I don't fuck with that dude either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, a couple weeks later, um, that project kind of fell apart, but I was right. I was, I had started a band called American Splendor. Um, and I needed another guitar player and, uh, I asked Reed if she wanted to do it and, uh, she said yes. Um, and so we started writing and working and writing and working. And that's really like when eventually like we were, we became friends enough that like I was like, hey, like you're fucking bummed out at your fucking job. I'm bummed out at my at my job. Like come work for me. We'll figure it out. Like we weren't like super close yet, but we weren't like, I don't like you.
0: So there was trust built. You kind of aligned on mutual hate for people or you could argue values around how people should operate in the world or could. Yeah. Um, yeah, And then this idea of complementing each other, like, you know, the way you played guitar versus the way she played guitar. Um, that's one way of complementing each other. Were there other ways in which you complement each other that um, maybe you didn't have in other collaborations? Because you could have chosen you yeah. other people in L.A. So how'd you know? Her personality
1: also fits really well with mine. Um, like she kind of plays like, you know... Yeah, this is going to be a weird term to use for her, but she plays like the straight man in our relationship. Like she's, uh, she's very matter of fact. And like, this is how things are. And I'm very, um, um, uh, mm. I words. Li- I'm very verbose. I also, I also like to be pulling things in constantly like this. And she's really good at streamlining ideas. Yeah. Mm. Uh, But also, like, and also, like, the way we are with clients is, like, I'm very much, like, let's fucking pull out all these ideas. And she's let very much, let's take out the razor and cut the things that really don't matter. Mm. Really get you to the point. Uh, We're both exceedingly vulgar. That's true. Right. Uh, Have uh, just a really bad habit of, oh, man, like, we, I forgot who the fuck we were working with. Uh, Oh, shit. It, it was, oh, it was Scott Klappenstein. We work with Scott Clappenstein from Real Big Fish. And Scott's like a really sensitive, super nice guy. And like, just like kind of like a cartoon character of a human. And we're recording guitars. And like when Reed and I are in the, uh, like, the, the creative mode, like the f- people, like your feelings don't matter. Like mm-hmm. both, because we both are like, the assumption is we're on the same side. So we like can say whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not about you personally. It's about the thing you're doing. And, like, I'm just like, that fucking sucks. Play it again. Tune your fucking guitar. Play play it less shitty. That's a good idea, but, like, it fucking sucks. And Reed's like, fuck you. I'm gonna fucking play it again. And, like, all this shit. And Scott is in the back of the fucking control room with, like, sunglasses on, leaning back in a chair. Just, like, terrified. Um, and yeah, we have to, exp- I, like, now, like, when we work with bands, it's always like, like I'm gonna tell Reed that she's a piece of shit every five seconds. So she's gonna tell me to go fuck myself every <laughs> ten. And, like, we don't
0: hate each other. This is just like honestly how we get the best work out of each other. That's something, another part of collaboration, which is you as a producer, songwriter, studio person, you're around so many different people where you need to get on the same side of everyone in the room as often as possible as fast as possible. I'm wondering, like, how that all works. Um, uh, My physical space, my physical studio
1: has a lot, actually, to do with that initially. Okay. Um, like, my... I have a very curated space. You've been here before. Yeah. Um, very, like, conducive to creating and being creative. It's, you know, it's mood-lighted. Mood. I mean, you could tell, like, my whole room is, like, lit in gold right now behind me. Like, it's, like, it's very there's wood there's instruments everywhere it's super curated so that like immediately people are already in like a space of like okay i want to create in this space it feels fun to like my my library sounds amazing to make make music in. it's so responsive um you know my mix room sounds fucking awesome like people like when you play things in here you're like fuck yeah um that's that but also you know uh you, there's a willingness to go anywhere with the client which mm-hmm. i think like you need to be willing to just be like you know uh, i was recording um this band called air like fire um we were doing vocals for a song and simone the singer of the song she she like you know, it was like a heartfelt love song. It was like about reminiscing and remembering. And I was like, I was not getting the performance that was necessary to like really cut for me. Mm-hmm. I, I got in the talk back and I just was like, I'm the person. Let me be the person that this mm-hmm. is about. Say it to me. Mm-hmm. It's my, say the thing that you need to say. Say it to me. Um, and that's, you know, producers that can get performances like that's it like being able to cultivate a space and uh a space like a physical space around someone where they feel comfortable then also being able to conv- like cultivate a relationship where there's trust enough to be vulnerable like those takes that like make you that make a record like adele holy shit like those fucking vocal performances are absolutely crushing not because she's an amazing singer she is yes. but the performance the performance, yes. like, the wilting at the end of phrasing it's it's those little bits of intimacy that you can give away when you're really mm. in it you know it's 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 like it's those bits of performance are like the inside jokes of relationships mm. it's like kissing your your, your 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 girlfriend on the nose when you leave because it's just a thing you do right you know it, wow. it's been on it. it it's 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 how you hold hands when you're sleeping mm-hmm. it's Those little differences that, that make like, and translating those to takes, like, that's how those little bits of, of genuine performance where like maybe the end of the phrasing lilts up instead of lilting down or, or, or fills in, you know, or draws out, it breathes. Like those are, those are like, those are the magical shits. Like, but that all is, is derived, at least for me, when I'm producing from let's get that human connection. Like, let's, let's really ring that out. Let's, let's follow, let's pull that thread and see where it goes.
0: And how does that translate to behavior action that you have? I mean, you said a willingness to go anywhere with the client, which I fucking love. I feel like that says so much. Uh, what does that, what does that look like? Is that not that there's a formula every time you use, but where, what does that look like? What can that look like? Um. I think it's it's like
1: I think artists can tell when people are being genuine Mm -hmm. and I think it's it starts with that like having a genuine conversation even if it's like about like fucking coffee Mm -hmm. now the how someone feels about the banal is generally how someone will feel about like the big stuff too Mm. you know or at least is is transversely like I I don't give a shit about small talk I love big talk Mm -hmm. those two things are transversely like equated in my brain. Mm. I think like the way people feel about how they got to the studio today in traffic versus how they're going to feel about, like the thing, the song is about. Mm. Those, things, You know, so having a conversation and also like not letting people off the hook, like it's really easy to get take. People are like, especially the artists, like who I'm working with now, they're good. Mm-hmm. You know, we're good. We don't need we don't need good takes. We need the take. Um, mm. but I don't know. Also, like, there's like an inherent magic to to human connection that, like, to codify it, I I don't know if I can. Like, I I think I'm easy to talk to, which helps. Um, I think like I'm easy to laugh with. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think like. I, t- th- I take the right things seriously and I laugh at the things that we don't need to care about,
0: mm. you know? How many fucking quotes? Jeez, <laughs> I'm going to make these inspirational posters with like an eagle flying and then that. Just make a coffee lean in a Man, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just needed to say that. No, no,
1: <laughs> like there's no, there's no way to codify human connection, but you know, yeah, there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, being vulnerable and allowing people to be vulnerable around you without any
0: judgment, mm-hmm. you
1: know, I, I want to live a life that is only in service or of service. You know what I mean? Yo, know, riff. Riff. <laughs> I fucking, you know, that guy is such a fucking good engineer. Holy. Oh yeah. Yo Riff is so fucking good. I love the shit that Riff
0: makes. So not just not just the Mohawk. Not just no. a great Mohawk in this world. I I actually for Dakota
1: I shouted Riff out. I think that like yeah. yeah, I think like when it comes to like punk like punk record makers, Riff is is like up there with like the with the pantheon. Like they're just oh. like fucking 28 or whatever, so they need more time to cook. Uh but they're so good. And also, Riff's fucking girlfriend is the coolest fucking lady in the world. They like came and hung out when I got the, uh, the, my IB1s and like, helped me like set up and shit. And like most fucking people, significant others who are like with studio people are like, yeah, I'll catch you later. She yeah. Was, like the whole fucking time and shit.
0: She's, she's all dope. Shout out to Riff. We haven't interacted too much, but when we have, it's always been a pleasure. So shout out to him. Yeah, um, honestly, really do. Like, uh, riff, Reed Wilcott,
1: and, um, I'm trying to think of who else is making, like, amazing records right now, who's, like, you know, our, like, little fucking group? Hmm. Oh, fucking Sarah from Illuminati Hotties. She just fucking mixed Justin Pierre's shit. She's fucking badass. I wh- heard I haven't, like, met yet, but I think she's, like, the fucking coolest. And one day, I hope her and I can fucking make something together, because I think she's amazing. Um, Yo, yeah, Illuminati Hotties, if you aren't on the tip, like, also, they're opening for fucking Death Cab. They're doing two shows at Dead Cat. They just announced like it today. I was like, fuck yeah, get it, girl. That's you were in cool. Snowball 2. <laughs> like, she was in this very small indie rock band that we used to play with all the time with Jackson Wargo called Snowball 2. And we didn't even realize it. And I like a picture of them came up on like uh, on like Memories, on Memories on Instagram whatever. And I sent it to Reed. And I was like, was fucking Sarah
0: in fucking Snowball 2? And then we were like, holy shit.
1: Uh, anyway, she was
0: definitely, uh, she's still fucking cool shit. Um, I think the topic of passion makes sense right here. I mean, I feel like of the people that make music, there is so much joy that comes out of you when you're expressing what you just did, whether it's like a small band that you used to play with or a huge band that you love or an artist you're working with or an artist someone else is or an engineer someone else is. You're super passionate. Um, Maybe... I don't know. I have, I have a question about the last topic that I want to talk about, and then I want to talk about passion. Um, and the coffee's wearing off, so I'm kind of losing it here. Um, so we're talking about, oh, collaboration. Okay. There isn't anything specific you can do. I am wondering, though, like, have you always been this way? Like, have you always been passionate, John, easy to collaborate, John, or... Right or not? And was it something that was learned through time, learned through mistakes, learned through anything? What did that arc look like? I was, um, not easy to work with
1: for a long time. Um, I, uh, I mean, I was always fun, I think. Right. Kenny sports is in here. So I think like that motherfucker I've known since I was like 10, like, I think I've always been fun. Um, but I, I also like, um, I was really talented at a really young age um, with music specifically. I know it sounds like I'm like fucking, but that's true. Like I I, I took to music really well. I didn't take like sports or like social cues mm. until tilt my shoulder, but uh, not even sports, never happened for me. But you know, music I got and, but like I thought I was right all the time. Mm. And uh, I mean, I guess because I'm a producer and i a mixer, I still kind of think I'm right all the time. Uh, but at least now I'm right in like collaborative, collaboration with an artist's like vision. Uh, but no, like I, the thing that really helps me is I, I have this concept in my head of, of a kindness ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of every time dealing with someone who's an asshole, someone who is acting undeserving of kindness, love, and compassion. mm mm-hmm. And then I think of any time that I acted that way and people extended me kindness, love, and compassion anyway. And mm-hmm. I realized there's, there's a deficit. There's a balance that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. So I'm created with people who are difficult to work with. Instead of saying this person's an asshole, what I say is I love this person. Mm-hmm. And to them, compassion and honesty and kindness, because I know that I've been this person and mm-hmm. that made you to work with. Mm-hmm the the commonality of experience like we're not as unique at like fucking there's this concept of being terminally unique like i that's what kills you like what makes your records boring is when you're like my like fucking morrissey the smiths were awesome because you could you could identify with them mm-hmm. but morrissey I am the quarry sucked because it was just like Irish blood, English heart, this I'm made of. I'm a proud boy. Like, fuck this guy. Like he sucks now. Like why the yeah. fuck ever listen to that? I like, he lost his ability to, to be representative of his audience and to be, um, uh, to, to, to connect, you know, like, To see himself and everything else. Mm. Mm. You know, but like the Smiths were so good because it was like, it was heartbreak songs that like like everyone was, everyone's heart was breaking in like 1983. It was all the cocaine and money.
0: Do you think I want to zoom in on this idea of being right, thinking you were right all the time? uh, What does right mean to you now that it didn't mean that?
1: Uh, what right means now is that the client is ready to cut me a check. Now, uh, I it's it constantly changes. Honestly, because you know my my world has kind of been turned upside down when it comes to like mixing. Because I upgraded my speakers, and I thought my mixes were right mm-hmm. on, on my other speakers, and now I have this, and I listen back, and I'm like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's uh being right. I think it is. Being as certain as you can be with the information given, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> and being right still is, it's not like fucking, it's, you're not making laws. Mm-hmm. You're, you're still making hypotheses. You're still making right. your educated guess. You're your best thinking. You know, you're using all of the best information you have in front of you to make it. And that's being right. But also being able to know, realize
0: that thought is malleable. Yeah. Well, in such a subjective field, such as any, I mean, music, but any creative work. There's no right other than the information that you have, which might be around taste, preference, things like that. So is saying that you were hard to work with because you thought you were right all the time meant that your taste took the front seat versus another person's or what was it? Mm. Or you took the front seat regardless, whatever it was on. I honestly, say I think it was
1: ego. I think it was, you know, be, having, being right, also being malleable means your ego is out of the decision. Mm-hmm. Or as out of decision as it can be. I'm not going to say like, I'm like, oh, free of ego. But I, right. you know, I meditate and I listen to Sam Harris. So I think I'm close. And that, uh, again, like, uh, you know, I, um, I I think like, being, being unwilling to be of service to anything other than yourself. Again, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was always right because it felt because because I needed to be right, and if I wasn't right, the world was wrong.
0: Mm. And, and then, that, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, and that, like, bad. Yeah. if you weren't right and the world was wrong, then what? You know, then it's, again, it's back to, like, me, like, that's, like, the
1: thing is, like, this whole, like, you know, people, a lot of producers, a lot of producers, and I'm not talking producers, like, uh, I'm talking, like, modern pop producers fall into that trap, I think, where, like, they just, like, at least the ones who I work with a bunch get into their fucking head about, like, how, like, they're right. This structure is right. This chorus is right. And it's like, man, if it doesn't, it like, it's, it doesn't, it's not that, you know, it's, it's, it's more ephemeral. Like Mm -hmm. we, we, especially in music, especially in pop music. It's not, it's also like kind of why I don't really work in that realm as much anymore is like, it's trying to codify the ephemeral concept of like this intangible thing that we call music. Mm -hmm. Like it's this intangible thing that says with that feels good. You know, I can't touch good, but we all can like experience good. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you codify that? And it's like trying to distill this down into three and a half minutes that doesn't have any cursing or anything that makes anyone feel weird. Mm -hmm. How to be, how to be effectively inoffensive. Right. That sucks. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying all pop music. I'm saying bad pop music that is just being written to sell something. Right. Because I... Like, Charlie Bliss is offensive and fucking great. You know, uh, Charlie XCX, Ash Nico, that shit is offensive, man. uh, But, you know, even more mainstream, Billie Eilish, like, that fucking big, like, when when we fall, asleep, where we go, that record, like, oh, my God, like, yeah, there's a course about not needing a Xanax, like, To like, I don't need Xanax to feel better, like, fuck well, oh, you kidding me? This is a top 40 record? Shit. But then, like, there is, you know, a lot of garbage that I think is written specifically to, like, kind of keep the machine going, you know? I think, like, and there's a lot of artists that, like, you know, a lot of people do rely on Justin Bieber to sell a record to they, so they have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those songs now just fucking garbage music that, like, is just meant to keep the machine going. I can say it. Because I have no stake in this
0: world. Fuck. <laughs> Dick folks. A hot take by John Graber. Um, I like this idea, th- this whole, what does it mean to be right? Um, how it relates to collaboration. You said this term, termin- terminally unique. Where's that from and, and where did you arrive at that? That's some AA shit. Internally
1: unique is thinking that your problem is so much different than everybody else's that you never fix it Mm. you know like and and it's applicable across the board like your point of view is so much better than anybody else's that nobody else's ideas could possibly compete with yours Mm. you are so unique that no one has had this thought Mm. i i there that is a like I mean, there's the, I, I, I can think of bands that I work with that like their membership of that band have those thoughts. And like, granted, luckily, there's enough people around them to keep them in check for the most part to be like, hey, that's stupid. But, um, you know, sometimes there's not. Yeah. And it's unfortunate too. I mean, I, I can think of projects that like I've stepped away from and I'm, you know, because I think like, well, I think the music is good. I think the personalities are just like, like, um, so toxic and so, um, coercive that I'm just like, no, nah, it's not worth it. It's not worth right. it. I don't need to be ill over your bullshit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Also like, you know, I don't want to hear from the disease. <laughs> like, I like, I think a lot, a lot of those terminally unique individuals like suffer from the same malady that we all do. And, uh, and they, uh, they don't want to admit it or they don't, they can't face it. Mm. They can't face it. Their need to be right all the time is actually what's making them sick. Mm. The constant, like the constant need to be the loudest voice in the room is what's actually making you smaller. You know, I, I. I mean, I equate a lot of things to addiction just cause like, that's my experience. So I'm sorry for like, literally everyone who's like this boring 12 step guy, but you know, I, I, think of addiction often as like this mechanism that takes little bits of yourself mm-hmm. while paying attention. It steals you while you sleep. Mm. Like, and I, I, I think like that the idea of being terminally unique is the same thing like that, a uh, constant self obsession you, it's while you're obsessing about how right you are, you're not keeping an eye on the fact that like little bits of you are just slipping away. Mm. You know, no idea is, is worth being a monolith. You know what I mean? Like no idea, no amount of being right or being correct or being creative is, 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 you know, worth being this monolithic person or this monolithic concept of a human, Mm. you know? And that's what I think, like being terminally unique means like you you took your course to this one idea and that's it
0: hmm. love that i'm looking at the topics here i think we covered most of them um no there's three here so if inspiration limits feedback oh and play um uh Image, in, 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 inspiration and limitations,
1: I think are, are kind of the same. Um, speaking, speaking sh- strictly technically, um, you know, I have a finite amount of, I'm, I'm in my control room, so now I can see, but below me is a bunch of gear and shit. Uh, I have a finite amount of, of analog processing around me that I will use while mixing and I won't add anything else because I get, this is me as much as I want other stuff. Um, I, uh, and it keeps my, with my limitations set, um, I can then be as creative as I possibly can be within that. So I can route things from it, like in a weird way and, and get new sounds and experiment with distortion and all the stuff. And then also like same thing with, uh, with mixing. I often like am mixing from a template that I've developed and I try not to really, um, uh, diverge too much from that um, only because like I've spent so long developing those templates that like the best ideas for that st- like genre or style of music or that style of mixing are going to be in there. It's all about like how to embrace those like instead of beating up against the walls, it's pressing up against them. You know what I mean? How to fill the space, not fight the space. Mm. Mixing is like that. Like when I realize mixing is about how to fill and not about how to fight through. You know, your, your kick drum isn't punching through your mix. Your kick drum is filling the bottom end and poking through the top and reminding everyone that there's a reason to dance. Your mm. vocal isn't shoving the guitars aside. It's coming up the middle to tell you the story mm-hmm. it's delivering the narrative. You know, it's again, it's not about fighting through. It's about filling the space. Mm. And I also think that I like, I think about design too, because we're an art club together and I,
0: you know, and as a poster designer, as a one-time poster designer.
1: But like, when I look at good design, I look at things that fill the space properly. Mm-hmm. Not fill the space with chatter either. Yeah. Like a well-designed, I'm trying to think of like a great album cover. because, like,
0: mm.
1: oh man, like, <laughs> hold on. Just get this here. Like, I can't reach it. It's on my wall. There's a record called Ska Against Racism. And like the way that it is laid out. It is like a perfect album cover for what it is. Like it delivers the exact like information of what the album is, and it gives enough graphic content that you want to look at it. And it like completely Mm -hmm. like uh, it advocates for the project for the product inside of it. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, or like great billboards where you're just like that looks fucking great. Or even like street art. Like Banksy knows how to fill a space and not fight through the noise. Yes, that guy's work or whoever they are, that, that group of individuals, I'm pretty sure, their work is so, so good at being commanding, but also not overpowering. mm mm-hmm. um, I remember I was working in a studio in Brooklyn called uh, Room 17, which has been shut down since because, you know, New York City's a fucking dump. And, uh, I remember going to the studio at like seven in the morning and coming out at like 10 o'clock at night. And there was just a, Fucking banksy across the street that had appeared throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, I I was I thought the studio had, had so the studio had like physical um cameras. Um, like like a security cameras, but they weren't actually plugged in. And I was like, you fucks,
0: we could have this shit out. Wow. Um, I wanted to get back to the topic of limits though, because in a way, I, I think what you're talking about is kind of cutting through the noise. Are you saying that limits help cut through the noise
1: yeah limits you know there's there there's <laughs> there's the end of the fucking picture you know what i mean like that, mm-hmm. that, i mean your your limitations are visually on a mix like because I, I also think i mix very visually um there's like the actual size limitations but there's also limitations on like what you're what you're willing to do in um uh in your mix or in your work you know or, mm-hmm. or like i'm like i'm saying like i don't want to I try not to diverge too much from like my templates when I'm mixing, because like, these, these new ideas, unless they're really good ideas are just going to put more noise in the way. Like mm-hmm. when I think limitations, I think of ways to like limitations are things that you can embrace that will cut through the noise. So you can have the most clear cut concept of your idea that also, um, that, um, hmm, Try to think about the way to say this, uh, Hmm. the most succinct way to reach your end goal the fastest way the path of least resistance mm. hmm. and with good limits w- with embracing the limitations of what you're doing like fuck like uh rock music Uh the low end on rock and roll mixing on rock mixing is never going to feel like the low end on hip-hop mixing and going at that is a fucking fool's errand because it'll never get it'll never sound competitive it'll never be bright enough if you're taking up that much space that's a limitation that you then like can figure out how to work within how to make the proper concessions to low end versus top end to make your mix sound competitive and correct Mm -hmm. Uh, you know with songwriting if you know that the the person you're writing with is not a good guitar player don't write songs that have a thousand fucking chords for them to play it. Right. you know that a person's a fantastic lyricist, but a terrible singer, maybe let them write lyrics and then you write a melody. Those but like to me also like limitations, I, I it's it's a word that like I feel like it has like a dirty thing mm-hmm. to it. People are like, oh, no limit. Like there's like I, I limitations are great. I mean, they 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 allow you to be focused. Fuck, if there was like no limit, like if there was no like, if there's no limit on time or budget or anything like that, like, nothing would ever fucking get done because everyone's mm-hmm. constant. Especially now, we live in a world where it's easy to tinker forever on everything. Yeah. Think, think about how many design revisions you get versus, like, if you were designing fucking 20 years ago. Because right. of, you know, C- Creative Suite
0: allows for unlimited revisions. Right. It allows people to hop in and think that they could do it, you know? Yeah. Fucking Pro Tools allows for unlimited revisions.
1: Listen, there was, only, there was a finite amount of time so you could play back a tape before it shed and everything fell off of it.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: like, that, that said...
0: Bring, bring that back.
1: <laughs> nah, man. Tape is a fucking pain in the ass.
0: <laughs> no, bring like, back that concept. So, like, the DAW just deletes it after, like... I mean,
1: that destructive record is the thing. Uh, but, no, like, I think... I think that you can employ that by getting it right the first time fair like when i you've tracked drums with me Mm -hmm. um the drums for rose colored world and i did that mix those drums sounded great right Mm -hmm. right the day of the drums sounded exactly the fucking same Mm. i mean there was heightened things and like i changed a bit and like i i sculpted the space for them to exist in but that's what the drums sounded like right get it right the first time the guitars for goldfinger sound fucking amazing because i beat the shit out of charlie paulson for fucking three months to play the guitar parts right and and i beat the shit out of reed walcott to play the guitar parts right and i beat the shit out of myself to play the guitar parts right like you yeah. get it right right toned right um, you know with no effects right now you know we're you know i'm i'm producing these guitar players who like i grew up loving and it's it's fucking you're just like no you fucking play that shit right Play right.
0: I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to edit it. I'm not going to reamp it. We're going to fucking play right. Right. I love that. Do you have anything else to cover on on limits, though? Like, I, I'm curious. I have some ideas, but I'm I'm curious if there's anything you specifically have to say around limits and how they they help or hinder the creative process.
1: Embracing limitation allows you to be will yield the most amount of creativity.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, I look at like. Like Schoenberg or uh, um, like Albon Berg or Webern, these writer, these composers who um, are known for writing serial music, uh, which is uh, music that's derived from mathematical tone row, uh, mathematical 12 tone rows. You mm-hmm. Basically, there's 12 pitches in, in the Western scale. You assign one through 12 to each pitch. And then from that, you can derive a bunch of non-repeating rows. Um, that will give you those numbers in different orders and you can pick them and try them out whatever mm. um Vayburn um Vayburn specifically is super like pointillistic uh like those rows his music is beautiful it's beautiful it's absolutely like it it looks it looks the way it looks the way it's fucked up it's true it looks the way like the sky looks in the desert right as it's getting dark mm. Yeah, these little pokes of light. And pokes of light as like these stars kind of come into focus as there's just enough contrast that their light can just get through. And like that's what their music feels like. And it's beautiful and it's perfect. And it's because it embraced the limitation of I'm not going to leave this set of numbers. I'm not going to leave this set these rows.
0: Um Right. It didn't abandon creativity. It just found creativity in a small, and narrower set of, uh, it, constraints. Yeah.
1: It codified the idea enough. Cause that's the thing is every single row is derivative of the first idea. You come up with your first mm. idea with a row, mm. then everything after it is derivative of that row. It's still tied in thematically to that thing. Love that. Uh, serialism is amazing. If like, like, well, being, I think like, that's what I do. Like my entire like undergrad shit about is, is serial music. Um, and like a lot of people, like a big, uh, criticism of it was like, it's like paint by numbers and it's like, it's not paint by numbers. It's like, you're still using creativity and you're still also like Sean Harold is a composer who's fucking still alive and awesome and lives in Connecticut. Uh, and like they, for a long time already, serial music, I don't know if they still are, um, but when I like talk to them about like, what if it doesn't sound good, they're just like, I break the row. Mm. Wow, just break the rail. Fuck that shit. Like, right? these are my rules, <laughs> you know? Like, um, you know, so you get, that's the other thing too, is like pushing against your limit, pushing against limitations also to see how those, if those limitations can flex, mm. you know? Because they could be steel walls or they could just be like aluminum foil that you can just punch them.
0: Right. Do you feel that there's a kind of time you can develop limits too soon hmm.
1: yes, I think well, especially if like you're greeted with success in any form mm. um, I could think of of like rock stars who are insufferable can okay. that they haven't been told no since they were seventeen
0: mm.
1: um. And I can also like think of like myself. Like I, I had, like, I started booking bands to record, and I didn't think that my records needed to sound any when I was younger Not anymore. Now I'm constantly trying to fix everything. Um, or, or like I remember the first time, man. Like I boosted like 16k
0: on something. Holy shit! There's all this space up here. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I went very Jewish with that. I love that. It's that long energy i'm telling you bro you're out here i feel it you know um
1: i i think also like limitations should always be reevaluated mm. like yes this is the best way for me to do this right now is it the best way for me to do it a year from now mm. um but again i think that comes back to like also like not being terminally unique, not being right all the time.
0: This existential uh, philosophical concept of sedimentation, where our ideas and beliefs start to, you know, se- um, you know, harden over time, fix over time, and this idea of breaking it, and the anxiety and dissonance it causes um, when breaking these sort of fixed, here uh, limitations or beliefs or whatever it may be, Um, have you had to do that with your creative process where you you were breaking limits and breaking these limitations that you've set up like consciously? You're like, oh shit, I think this might be hurting me now.
1: Um, yeah, but it didn't cause like, it doesn't cause me, uh, like existential dread. Right. I also, honestly, it's, you know, it's fucking pop up. Like, it's not like there's bodies on the fucking table or anything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Definitely not what I. <laughs> but like, uh, that's so good. Um, this pop punk may cause existential dread. Is the name of my record.
1: That's actually, uh, it's. I believe that saves the day's record. That was like the name. Say <laughs> hey, what you are. Uh, <laughs> that it was this pop punk will so it will cause it. It's, uh, um, yo, <laughs> I have a funny Chris Connolly story. That I'll tell you later. But yeah, uh, you no, know, like I. I think also it like. I. So I started reading Christopher Hitchens when I was like 17, which I think is a good time to maybe start to like buck some of your, uh, some of the like societal constraints that were kind of put on you and you can kind of start to like develop as a person. And Christopher Hitchens is a good guy to read because he's just like anti everything. Um, uh, so he's a good contrarian and, uh, you know, his, uh, while he had firm, firm beliefs, he didn't like, they were not like these facts. You don't, he's like, you know, you don't have to fall in love with, and like, like completely dogmatically align with anything. hmm you know what i mean like he was a pretty dynamic person i think about like you know he was, you know in staunchly anti-war for a long time and then like during the before he died he like became hawkish and like into like you know fucking bombing afghanistan and i'm like oh that's not great uh, but like you know you can you can be dynamic and then like and you can in and, and you can change your mind Fuck, man i think about shit uh, this isn't super about creativity, but my, you know, with Dottie, right? Everything comes back to my fucking daughter. I, uh, you know, I didn't want to have kids. I didn't want that. It's not something I saw for my life. You know, I used to say, like, when people ask, like, oh, how old are you? I'm like, 31, no kids. Uh, but, like, you know, I, my mind, and it's fucking fine. Mm. And uh-huh. now I got a dad hat. And now I do have an awesome dad hat. Uh-huh. Awesome dad hat. <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah yeah like letters to young contrarian definitely syrup well yeah dude letters to young contrarian is so fucking good
0: hmm. uh, that's yeah. christian who is helping me co-author the book um and i'm going to talk to him in about i don't know 30 minutes about this call so shout out to christian who's been there
1: yeah yeah "Letters to, to young Contrary, very good also uh h22 his autobiography is also really 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 good hmm. um and also the classic God isn't great is also really good. If you're an atheist or, or at all agnostic or at all, just mad that religion is annoying. Okay. there's some stuff in there where I'm like, thumb the brakes, <laughs> that's, I mean, religion, perfect. Another example of like things that like I, that used to make me icky and spirituality make me feel icky. And now I, I'm finding myself changing on, you know, I, I, uh, you know, my, Um, my upbringing was, was religious and, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't good. It didn't fit me well. Um, so I, um, I became incredibly atheistic and also like incredibly, um, I was down to fight you about it. Uh, not physically, but, you know, fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, hate the existence of God was something that I was very into doing for a long time and now, uh, through recovery and, you know, The process of spiritually healing like you know i do feel uh you know i feel differently now about it you know like i i used to think that prayer was stupid and now i pray every day Mm. do i believe in god no but do i think that there's like an inherently important thing in self-reflection yes do i think that like human beings are like spiritually in tune with one another and nature and the world yes you know I, there's no evidence to prove to the otherwise, you know, why, why would we be social, social creatures if we weren't supposed to be linked with each other?
0: Mm.
1: You know, um, why does, why does one feel, if we aren't, if we aren't spiritually connected, why does one feel the hurt of another? Mm. You know, I think about, um, you know, the, the movies that make me sad or the stories that make me cry. And like, or the or even like the records that make me well with emotion, you know, or in past that, past my own experience. But I think about orators who can move masses to passion through word alone. Like fuck, man, like watching yeah. the old footage of like Martin Luther King speak and how thousands of people resonated with just these fucking syllabic sounds. Right. That's not so that's not listening anymore. You are connected to a person. Mm. You know, I even you know I, you know, and and people connect to wrong things, right things, but like I, we are inherently spiritually connected because we can find a way to care about each other and feel
0: each other's pain. Joke. That's all that needs to be said about collaboration. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. The last one I have is on feedback. Well, we have feedback and play. On oh, play, or on um, it. You tell me. Um, feedback.
1: Um, feedback is inherent to the creative process in any form, whether you're getting the feedback from revisions or things like that, or you're like reading your record reviews, uh, which I am sick with that disease. Oh my God. Anytime anything I make gets reviewed or someone posts a comment on YouTube, I am desperately pissed off or very, very, very uh, proud of the thing I made. <laughs> I uh, I've been known to like jump into the fray uh, on on YouTube to be like, oh, no, Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> I know oh, it's no. I I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Did you like? If someone be like, I don't like the production choices? I was like, well, what would you do, dickhead? What's up? I'm not just a faceless fucking human. I can see you. <laughs> uh, same thing like playing shows. Like, man, I I don't play shows anymore. I don't play a band because I don't give a shit about playing for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because people are a terrible audience. And, uh, you know, I'd be playing show and I get, like, I hear people that buy, like talking.
0: Uh, just,
1: shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, even in even as, like, when I go to shows, it's a pretty rare occasion at this point, but, like, considering COVID, but also, like, I got to really like your band for me to go out to see your band play. People talking in the audience, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Shut uh, up. They're uh, and they're human beings. Like, it's not a fucking screen.
0: Like, they right. can fucking hear you. And see you like turned around. Not yeah. I like, oh, oh, man,
1: like it's the thing. Like I, so when I was in grad school, I I taught fucking like I I taught a class about fucking Tom Waits, and like it was eight thirty the fucking morning. And the second that I was like start a lecture, I just see fucking MacBooks open and people fucking check out. I'm like fuck you guys. Like, yeah. You up here, like, you dickheads. I'm just trying to give you guys a fucking education. Serves you all right for go to SUNY Purchase. <laughs>
0: The drugs in this little boat. Yeah, that's a, that's a party and a half in that school. I love that place. That's where I met my wife. Oh, no way. Great. Yeah, I met her first day of undergrad. And Total I was like, side note, but Addison told me you were at the As Tallest Lines show at Purchase. Yes. Damn. What a night. He told me that shit. And I was like, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Two of us were there with another friend. Uh, great time. I'll have to uh, tell you about that story. Definitely not when it's being recorded. <laughs> um, feedback. Um.
1: No one likes a monologue. You know what I mean. Feedback is is what makes creativity conversational. Mm, mm. Uh. Very rarely is greatness created in a vacuum by itself. Um. I mean, Rothko had contemporaries, you know what I'm saying? Fucking Matisse had contemporaries, you know, these amazing painters had homies who'd come to their studio and be like, that water lily looks
0: stupid. Mm-hmm. Make more. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that, um, what,
1: I think what makes great art in my opinion is Art that feels inherently conversational, that highlights, like the connection of humans. Mm. Um, and I think like that's what art is, right? It's just like, it's like, let me make a mark. So other people knew that I was here. There's this lyric um, that I think about a lot when I think about like the concept of why we make art, which is like uh, this band called Iron Chic, who are also from Long Island. Um, you know, we leave our name and the rest just turns to dust. mm that's it. You're the best of us, the best of us, the best of us have is a handful of people who will remember us, the best of us. Yeah. A- have a handful of people who will come to the funeral and be like, that guy did okay, right? And what art is, is just, you're just trying to keep that, that chain alive. Right. the longer. Just to get your, because see your idea is just, you feel, you know, that idea like, you want, you want other people to know they're, that they're not alone. You know, I think about Bach, right? Bach wrote all this music for God. He, uh, finished whenever Bach finished a complete composition, he was signing at the bottom, uh, all for God or something similar to that, uh, in German, um, and, uh, you know, what it was like a reverence for, uh, the eternal, right? Everybody likes. Everyone has those moments where they think about forever, what forever feels like, right? Bach codified his idea of what forever feels like to hip and put it out there for people to remember it. And we still do it. We still, we still, we still do masses and cantatas and it's the same thing, you know, fucking, you know, the Ben Gibbard writes songs about heartbreak that like are so cutting and so, so succinct. And they exist and they're important because they allow people to connect with the idea that like they don't feel heartbreak alone.
0: Mm. Bach and Ben Gibbard. Feedback. That's feedback. In one sentence. What a guy. This is why I love you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's my brain. I complete a
0: reverend mess of fucking
1: <laughs> It's Bach and Ben. It's alliteration.
0: It's just- it, I mean, It's a collaborative project they have
1: yeah it's been fucking
0: literally 300 years apart uh and then play right play yeah um uh, when i so when i choose these topics i kind of think there's certain always reasons why and i chose that topic and i'm thinking about where when we were in the studio recording drums and uh you're like i'm so drunk <laughs> every like five seconds into the talk back and just like what that did for the mood um And then that take where Addison was playing and I'm like, I know what he's thinking right now. I could hear what he's thinking and just being like, dude, we already have the take, like do anything. And then most of that take was like super cool. There's some fills there that were cool and like just a looser performance. So, um, when I chose play, I was kind of thinking about those memories and sort of the energy you create in the room, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on play.
1: Um. I mean, technically, as far as like technical like recording shit, um, you know, if I'm doing drums, I'll do like three takes, and the third, as long as we have it in the three takes, the the third take will be like a whatever take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, have fun with it. But like, what I what I think it does is like it kind of like discharges any of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. People people once they think they got it, feel much better about it. You know, it's like fucking like yeah. you know. Like getting, getting a shot, right? Like, no, like, fuck shit. Like, getting the COVID shot. Was I worried about fucking feeling like shit and getting poked in the arm? Yeah. Afterward, did the feeling of knowing that I wasn't going to drown in my lungs make me feel much yeah. better? Yes. Um, and then and it I did play. play. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's you know, it, it's the play is 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 reassurance that the that the idea is there, is the concept is right. You know when you can feel comfortable enough to change it when you could feel comfortable with the idea enough that like can remanage it a little bit, it's like it's it's the dog ears it's like the 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 fingerprints at the edge of the paper the things that make it unique the things that the things that make it like so it has a stand right so like any drummer can play four to the floor, but like when Travis
0: Barker plays four to the floor, you fucking know it's him mm-hmm. um that's because there's eight hundred measure. um Bill,
1: 30 second notes with this fucking right hand on the hi-hat. And, and then plays a Phil that
0: you're, makes no fucking sense. Uh, I love that guy. It's fucking great. Damn. Shout out to Travis. I like this idea of play. Um, I kind of paraphrased something you were saying, which is like the level of comfort you feel knowing you can change things. Like when you're a kid and you're playing, you know that like, or you don't know or you really think about it. But it's this idea, like you're comfortable, you can change this Play-Doh into 10 different things today, or a hundred different things. There is no discomfort in the fact that it can change, and yeah, it's there's there's no, what it can th- change. This is Play-Doh. It needs to stay Play-Doh.
1: You're like, no, this is a dinosaur. Right. And this isn't a dinosaur, it's a car. Right.
0: It's a dinosaur car.
1: Yeah. yeah. With You can roll down the, the scales.
0: Nice. That's great like dinosaur scales? Yeah. Boom. That's play. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean, in terms of collaboration, in terms of creating that environment, like, can you point to specific moments recently where that, where either you felt that it was play or you've created an environment where that could happen? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I
1: try to do that every session. Like, mm-hmm. There's got to be, you know, like a, uh, shit, man. Like, like I think about my girl Anna V. She's a comedian, right? She, she, writer, um, comedian, and also stand up, and amazing. And like, you know, while stand up is like a solo performance, like those jokes get bounced off of everybody. Like, even just yeah. bounce of comedians, yeah. um, you know that's play or like, or, or, you know, she'll write something and change the wording around. So like the punchline or like the, the hit of the joke lands in different parts of the sentence to see which is the most effective. Um, that's play, you know, like that's, that's, um, and then for, for what I do, you know, it's like, um, when Reed and I write lyrics together, I'll often have her change the tense of things and also the, like the pronouns of things change all like the me's to use or all the he's to she's and just like things like that um we have the you know we have the structure of the song but we have but we're trying to create something that has a little bit less linearity and more because mm-hmm. when something is too linear when a song is too linear it comes off as way too literal and comes off as like because life isn't that way like life is right. not like mm-hmm. you know you have these you know You could be going one way and then the next minute, something massively uh, tragic happens or massively good happens, you know, it's not straight path, um, and play like play in art allows art to, you know, to keep emulating the kind of, the kind of life that it is representation, like representative of, Mm. I mean, like my my wife is a painter. Um, she's fucking amazing, and yes, her her language um, is so so small. Like her paintings are super pointillistic, really really tiny gestures repeated thousands and thousands of times to make a greater image. Right? That's Christine Mahoney makes abstract landscapes out of dots the size of like what would you would punctuate an eye with. Mm. And like, when I talk to her about like, I'm like, do you have like a form in mind? And she's like, kind of, but like, I, I let the, I let the image move and I will play. I will, I will have a color palette in mind, but also like, if like, I think this color will work more to bring out this idea, then that's what I'm going to do.
0: I'd love to get her on here at one point. Oh man,
1: that would be the quietest interview of in your life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, yep. Yeah. Cool. Lady, a few words. But unless she's with me. Brilliant work, though.
1: Oh my God, her work is so fucking good. Everybody who's here, all six people, go check out Christine Mahoney art Chris, at Christine Mahoney.
0: I was wondering, as, uh, you were saying this, uh, this idea of linearity, I actually drew a little sketch as you were speaking of this sort of timeline of life being so non-linear. There is a linear linearity too, which is your start and stop point. There is linearity. You will die that time will pass. But what happens in between that is so non-linear. Um, and I, I love this idea of kind of extending that into the art, making art parallel what life looks and feels like um never thought well, of
1: like i also I, I mean the like the, the linearity of time i you know yes the the way we experience time is, is linear right us to think like the way we experience life is not yes and, and like the way like there are there i can remember there being afternoons that lasted forever when i was right. a kid right like for moments that were so fleeting that I would do anything to experience again. They were so fast. Mm-hmm. But they, were so, they were so impactful.
0: Mm.
1: And like, and like, how how do I get any of that back? You know, that's, you know. Mm. I think about like the birth of my daughter. And it was so fast. It was so fast. It was so, so fast. But her pregnancy took forever. But the kid being born, it was just
0: like she was there. Right. Uh, you took a bunch of notes. Is there anything that you, uh, any speeches that you wrote in your notebook that you'd want to? Uh, you know, it's you know funny. Is is
1: uh, um, we talked about nothing that I wrote down.
0: Amazing. Okay.
1: No, but fine. it's I just wrote down. So like I wrote down, uh, like all the shit that I that's been going on the last year on one page. Then I wrote down like the concepts of like creativity, producer, DIY, ANR. Um, like they're I don't know, very like nuts and bolts of like studio bullshit. But we didn't touch on any of it and I'm glad that we didn't. I'm also glad that we didn't like list my accolades because who gives a shit?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The greatest accolade um that you have is the relationships that you've built. Um I can speak for myself, the relationship we've built, the relationship I see you've built with your daughter and your wife and your collaborators. Um, I'm As we kind of start to wrap this up, I'm just wanted to say that I'm super grateful that you're here um, and I wanted to hear you and I wanted to hear your take on things. The accolades, they'll happen and they deserve to happen, um, but they're definitely not the focus of the important shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so thank you. I love you, dude. And have a great day. Thanks for inviting me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Of course. Later. It dude.